As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. Um, As always, I'm Tim Wyatt uh, and I'm joined uh, by my dad, Professor John Wyatt. How are you this week, John? Yes, uh, good to be here, Tim, and uh, talking about this really important issue of creation care. Mm. So this is a direct kind of part two follow on to last week's episode where we discussed the kind of growth in fatalism and pessimism uh, among, particularly among young people when it comes to the issue of climate change, um, the really, the, how the rhetoric and the kind of doom mongering um, around the future of the planet has has got ratcheted up year by year until it's become really detached from the actual science, what the facts actually say, and and how this is causing a, a really concerning rise in in eco anxiety and mental health problems again, particularly among young generations. And what we wanted to do this week is is kind of move the conversation on to what would be a Christian response to to climate catastrophe, to uh, to the possibility of climate crisis. What what we don't want to fall into nihilism and fatalism and doom but we also can't simply be complacent can we no we certainly can't and and i think it's it as as of as always it's you know there's this tendency to polarization isn't there that that christians can easily polarize into two two groups those who see um a preoccupation with creation care as as somehow secondary and and slightly suspect and and not a central concern uh, for Christians and and then on the other hand those who see this as the most pressing issue of the age and um and and feel that this this ought to be one of the central concerns of Christian people hmm. I think the place I would want to start is to say as you mentioned last week that that this is a, a critical issue for the church to be engaged on, if nothing else, because it is a justice issue, because it's a it's an issue in which the least, the last, and the lost. You know what the Bible talks about is the widow, orphan, and stranger, the most vulnerable people in an ancient Israeli is, Israelite society, uh, who 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 us who the, who we should have a special concern for. Those people today, you could argue, are, are some of the people on the brunt of climate change in the poorest countries in the world who are experiencing the worst um, when it comes to to kind of extreme weather events, rising sea levels, um, heat waves. And so Christians, if they really do claim to love all of God's people, and in particular the poor, the needy, the vulnerable, we can't ignore the fact that that the the it's the voices of the church, really, in the majority world, in the global south. If you ask Christians living in, in, in Pacific islands or in sub-Saharan Africa, 
or elsewhere they are saying that actually we need we need you to act on this because this is a priority for them yeah and uh, this really came home to me some years ago with my friend Vinath Ramachandra who is a Sri Lankan uh, theologian and commentator and and he sees this very much as a a north-south issue because um you know he is somebody who who lives in Sri Lanka and uh, and who sees the damaging effects of, of climate change across the the poor countries of the world and and yet the outrage is that it was the rich people who who burnt the coal who put the carbon dioxide who lived off the fat of the land uh, in previous generations and now it's the poor people uh, across the world who are suffering whilst the rich people carry on and and he has a great sense of frustration that that message is not taken on by Christian people generally the, 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 this deep crushing injustice that's at the heart of it hmm. it's almost a, it sounds almost a bit like one of Jesus's parables you know how the rich man burns all the coal and then the poor man is the one whose home is ruined ruined by it it's almost poetic in its kind of sense of injustice in that sense well, it is, and but it it doesn't have a good ending um, unless um, there is some dramatic change, isn't there? Because you know we we talked about uh, in, in the previous episode that uh, the paradox is that rich people who have created this problem are also in a position to protect themselves from the worst consequences. We can have air conditioning we can invest in electric vehicles and um, solar panels and so on uh, whereas the, the poor as things are at the moment uh, the, the great danger is that they're going to be many of them living in catastrophic conditions and maybe areas of the world which just become uninhabitable yes and I think that strikes what that strikes home for me is that a, a Christian response to climate change absolutely must include efforts to cut your own emissions you know where possible switch to more sustainable forms of transport you know home insulation all the classic lists that we're familiar with about how we can we can do our bit but it has to look like more than that because it also as you say um we can't retreat into our kind of comfortable wealthy isolation from the rest of the world so that i think a a, a christian justice response on this issue must also look like lobbying governments uh, joining kind of climate movements and and as I said before amplifying voices of the church in the global south in the majority world let, letting their voices rise to the top and actually influence the conversation yes and it is sad to me how um, for, for many decades uh, particularly amongst evangelical Christians it's been quite unusual until relatively recently it's been unusual for evangelical Christians to uh, to see creation care as being something uh, of high priority and um, uh, you're probably aware there was a very famous uh, article written by a historian Lynn White uh, back in the 1960s I think it was which argued that uh, the roots of the environmental catastrophe which was starting to be recognized at that time uh, was in uh, the judeo-christian concern for the the centrality of humanity and therefore the exploitation of nature that white argued that it was at the very heart of christian christianity was this uh, exploitation 
uh, treating nature almost with contempt as, as just a, a raw material that was there for human beings. And I think regardless of the merits of her overall argument, it's hard to deny that there has been a strain of Christian thinking. Sometimes people use the language of dominion, which, which, which I would argue misinterprets Genesis, but basically reads Genesis to say, you know, there's a hierarchy in created order and humans have been put at the top by God. And that means that we can do anything we want with those who are below us, you know, animals, plants, and fundamentally created order itself. Yeah, and I've been very struck by um, a new book which is just published in the last year called John Start on Creation Care, um, actually edited by uh, a friend of mine now, sadly deceased, Sam Berry, who was professor of genetics in the University of London, uh, who was a Christian and who was very concerned about creation care. And he has done an enormous uh, work pulling together um, John Stott's sermons, writings, uh, going right back to the 1970s uh, on the topic of creation care. And uh, it's called John Stott on Creation Care. I, I strongly recommend it. And what it shows is that Stott was extraordinarily ahead of his time. And back in the 1970s and the 1980s, he had come to the conclusion, just reading the scriptures, that um, the care of creation was, was a central uh, Christian calling and he had this uh, concept that uh, in in the original creation, God creates us in harmony with himself, in harmony with one another, and in harmony with the whole world of nature, with the created order. And that what happens at the fall is that all three of those relationships get distorted and damaged, and there's alienation comes in, both between us, uh, with God, with one another, and with with nature and that part of the whole good news about redemption and restoration is the restoration of those three relationships and so in that sense could you argue that part of god's mission of making all things new of course centri centrally that's about restoring the broken relationship between humankinds and their creator god through the work of jesus on the cross but in that sense could it also be unfolding by the church and god's people repairing and restoring their relationship that's been impaired with with creation and so acting to sustain and protect and rebuild creation is in itself a kind of deeply spiritual kingdom act that's absolutely right and that's what Stott himself says and and in his book uh, the radical disciple which was the last book he wrote when he was already uh, extremely elderly and, and facing his own death he he said it stands to reason therefore that god's plan of restoration includes not only our reconciliation to god and to each other but in some way the liberation of the groaning creation as well and uh, he he's he said this is the bible teaching which has to be behind our response to the ecological crisis it's extraordinarily prescient for an evangelical leader in the 70s to be talking about this obviously long before my time but you can confirm that wasn't really a a prominent theme of preaching and teaching uh, was it in the church at that point what why do you think john stott was so far ahead of his time or more conversely why were so few others reading the bible and drawing the same conclusion well it's a, it's it's a very good question and 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 you are absolutely right he was uh ahead of his time i think if he was here and and he you 
asked him, he would say it's all about double listening. Just uh, remind us what would, double listening is. One so time. double listening means that on the one hand, we're called to listen to the Bible and listen to the word of God speaking in the Bible. But at the same time, we've got to listen to the world. We've got to listen to the secular world and listen to the questions uh, that it's raising. And and it was he didn't just talk about this. He actually practiced it. He was very deeply concerned to be listening and uh, and hearing the questions that were being raised. And therefore, you know, although he was committed to preaching the Bible and to leading a church in central London, he was also reading and studying about, you know, people like Lynn White and, and the ecological crisis. And there was a famous book about uh, catastrophe uh, called Silent Spring, which was about pollution in the environment and so on. And and he was asking them the questions, how how can we respond to this from, from the Christian um, perspective? And so I, I think it was his very awareness of these trends going on in the secular world that forced him to go back to a deeper understanding of, of Scripture and to say, this is here, we need to respond to it. I wonder also if there was a sense of unease or concern or even scepticism among some Christians, evangelicals, when talking about this issue because the kind of green narrative seemed to veer towards a, a kind of pantheism or, or Gaia or kind of pagan ideas about worshipping Mother Earth and worshipping the creation. And they were kind of drilled in a Protestant uh, reformed sense in which, you know, it's all about the word and about individual faith and, and we don't really kind of want to mess around with that physical mucky stuff of soil between our fingers. No, I, I think you're right. And I, I think... Certainly, in the time I remember as a, as a student, there was this almost pantheistic sense about Mother Earth, Mother Nature, and which, which did seem very um, pagan and and pre-Christian. Um, and of course, that that's also true uh, about many of the original uh, inhabitants of the of, of the countries of. Uh, of, of the nations, wasn't it? That they had an almost uh, pantheistic uh, sense of, of being wedded with with nature, and, and so you can see how Christianity could be seen as something that that is completely different, and that says no, it's human beings that matter, and that mm. and that we don't need to worry about nature. So it's a sort of reaction against what was seen as a pagan. Uh, respect for for nature which of course if you if you look into the history it, that's completely false that really all the way back uh, to the very earliest uh, Christian experiences have always been an emphasis on on respecting and caring for nature as being part of our Christian duty definitely I mean, I wonder whether there was a, an unhelpful muddying of the waters during the kind of Enlightenment Industrial Revolution era, where, you know, humans suddenly realised that they could mould and reshape the, the creation, that they could pluck materials and resources out of the earth and smelt them and melt them and build them and, and burn them and, and create new things. And there was a sense in which that the earth is bountiful and none, it will never run out. And, and, and there's a kind of almost an extractive mindset. And I wonder whether that happened at a time when, you know, a deep kind of Christendom era when the church and, and state were, were kind of closely merged and whether some of that extractive mindset started to, to seep into into Christian thinking, you know, God put all this good stuff in the earth for us to use as we see fit. 
and by you know mining and burning and destroying and logging we're actually it's part of our creative mandate to build and reshape creation no i think there's definitely something in that and and you can see how particularly uh, in the states where um, the pioneers are just finding these vast resources of endless uh, space to to explore and to exploit uh, this this idea that, that that God has just given us all this uh, this bountifulness just so that we can exploit it for our own purposes. You can see how that comes in, but it, I think if you take this fundamental idea of an alienation between human humanity and nature, uh, which is the result of the fall, um, then our goal is to have a much more harmonious, a much more respectful. And, and godly relationship, a respect and care for, for the goodness of creation which he's given us. You're listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. So if there is this alienation, this um, severing of the relationship that we're supposed to have between mankind and, and, uh, and creation, should, is it not appropriate, therefore, for Christians to also fall into the same pessimism that we were talking about last week? It's quite a, seems like quite a serious issue. If, and I assume you're going to say no, the question is why not? Why do we, despite the kind of serious situation we find ourselves in when it comes to the environment, why do we not? Why should we not fall into into pessimism? Why do we have a different view of the future? Yeah, and I think this is a really interesting and fundamental difference between uh, contemporary common understandings of the future that we find in the West and, and, uh, and specifically Christian understanding. And I think one way of thinking about it is, is two different pictures of, of what the future represents. I think that within the contemporary secular world the future is regarded as something which we construct it, it's it's blank it's it doesn't exist but we make choices here in the present and as we make choices in the present we are constructing we are building we are fashioning the future and it's a bit like building a wall brick by brick the choices we make now are building the future and, and if you think about the the narrative about the climate change that is how it is isn't it the choices we've made bad choices in the past this is going to have catastrophic consequences now we need to make some good choices so that we can build a different future uh, the the problem with this way of understanding is is that it it gives us this crushing sense of responsibility uh, because you know, if we build a build this wall badly, if we put a bad brick into the wall, then catastrophe is going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. And I think some of the doom and gloom we were looking at in the, in the last episode about these high levels of despair and hopelessness that you see in young people about the future of the planet is this idea that bad, we have constructed a terrible future and there's nothing we can do about it. There's a kind of fatalism. So I want to contrast that with what I see as, a, as a, an authentically Christian understanding of the future. And here it's not like building a wall, but it's actually that there's a huge river flowing. Um, and it's the river of God's plans and purposes 
for the cosmos. And this river starts before the foundation of the of the world. It goes throughout the entire history of cosmos, and it goes on into the future and into the final, the creation of the new the new heaven and the new earth, and, and so on. And we are called to make good choices here and now is a bit like throwing something into the river which has downstream consequences but we cannot affect the long-term direction of the river the river is under the under god's providential concern and care and his his drama his 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 purposes are being enacted whatever we do and that gives a sense of liberation because it doesn't all rest on us. It doesn't all rest on fallible human beings creating the future. And yes, that doesn't mean we can act res- irresponsibly, but it it isn't all on our shoulders. Hmm. That's really helpful, isn't it? Because it 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 uh, as you say, it liberates us. And in that sense, that releases us from saying, well, if I don't do the exactly the right kind of kind of climate activism, the e- the the end is going to be awful. Because we say. Um, it's in God's hands and rather than that leaving leading us to kind of apathy and saying well if it's in God's hands I'll sit back and do nothing it's, it leads us to say I'll I'll work hard but I won't um you know uh, burn myself out or or, or or torment myself into a state of, of nervous anxiety because it's ultimately it's not my job to fix this problem yes and and some theologians have pointed to the Sabbath as, as a sign of this so that God works for six days in the in the creation and then on the seventh day he rests and celebrates and then he calls his people to enter into this same pattern so we work for six days but we can dare to stop working we can dare to celebrate and enjoy because it doesn't all rest on us because the there's a bigger narrative there some of this the sense of freedom and reminds me of a really fascinating essay um, by c.s lewis called On Living in an Atomic Age, which was written, I think, in the, the late 1940s or the 1950s, when mankind, when humanity was waking up to the reality that we created these new weapons which could wipe out life as we knew it in an instant. And that was a time of, um, if you look back in the history, there was extreme nervousness, anxiety. There were there was a lot of fatalism at that point as well, for different reasons. Um, and, and he wrote this whole piece, which is kind of saying, actually, it's not Christian to cower in in fear because life might be kind of nasty brutish and short um uh, and i'll I'll just read a little quote here it's obviously about atomic atomic weapons but i think it has some relevance to climate change it says this if we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb let that bomb when it comes find us doing sensible and human things praying working teaching reading listening to music bathing the children playing tennis chatting to our friends over a pint in a game of darts not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs uh, they may break our bodies but they need not dominate our minds nothing is more likely to destroy a species or a nation than a determination to survive at all costs um, for those who care for something else more than civilization are the only people by whom civilization is at all likely to be preserved those who want heaven most have served earth best those who love man less than god do most for man and, and obviously it's quite different because atomic weapons would, would, would be an instantaneous threat as opposed to this kind of slow burn one that we're facing with climate change. But I really love the idea that um, w- not to dampen enthusiasm, to mitigate it, but let's not let it c- dominate our lives and, 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 and kind of cast a pall over the rest of this century. 
this idea that that the world crisis is coming but actually let, let us use it to sharpen us but to act in a more thoroughly human and christian way yeah that is really good isn't it and and that does really seem to me like a healthy antidote to these very negative attitudes um which we saw last week in so many young people i, I was just thinking you know, that one of the statistics we looked at last week was this extraordinary percentage uh, of people i think it was nearly 40 percent so who said they were uncertain about having bringing children into this world and and it's something i've been asked from time to time you know when doing q a uh, talks and so on is what possible reason can you have for having children when uh, the future looks so threatening and, and isn't it irresponsible to have children um, and my answer which of course is not original many other people have made the same answer is that it's precisely because the future is threatening that we need to bring human beings into the world who are going to respond in a in a godly and appropriate and positive way um, so quite the reverse uh, it's it's the same kind of message isn't it that that our calling is to live our lives fully now not cowering uh, expecting catastrophe to to wipe us from the planet hmm. i think the flip side of that and just because we come to land this episode is i think there's there's another thread we haven't touched on which i want to talk about briefly which is amongst all all the excellent stuff that we've talked about about you know creation care and social justice um, and having a hope for the future, I think there is a really a good place for the church to also um, respond to climate crisis with lament as well. Um, I think it, it it's a healthy biblical theme to see to, to 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 express lament over things that have been lost and destroyed, over bad things that have happened. And I think there's a real healthy role for the church, again, particularly in the global south, to help its local communities process and express their grief and trauma over experiencing kind of climate catastrophes and natural disasters and the loss of habitats and homes. And that's not in opposition to also acting, but I think it's it's a really Christian and biblical idea to say, actually, you know, God is also saddened by the extinction of that species or by, by the deaths of people from uh, climate crisis. Uh, and the church should kind of help you sit there in the grief and say yes like it's right that you feel sad and here's maybe some language some liturgy some music to help you do that yeah no i i think definitely think that is um has got some real power to it and and the the language of lament is, is something which again often seems rather alien to many modern christian traditions and uh, uh, I, I'm sometimes struck by how sort of Christian worship so often has this incredibly feel good, you know, where everything's wonderful, isn't it? Posit we're positive. God is blessing us. God is changing us. God is changing the world. Isn't it fantastic? And, and then you go and you read the Psalms and, and so many of the Psalms are pouring out this these laments. Uh, where are you, God? What are you doing? Why are you allowing this? Uh, and and it strikes me that 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 note of lament is something which i think we often do need to recover um and and what the biblical language of lament gives us is it gives us faithful language you know the bible understanding of lament is it's not faithlessness it's not absence of faith it's it's claiming god's character and and it's giving us faithful language to express our senses of loss and 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 concern definitely definitely 
we wanted to end not just by talking about some ideas but actually by pointing to some some places to take these these thoughts um you, you mentioned earlier a, a Russia uh there are there are superb Christian charities you said John Stott involved in helping found found them uh they're, they're a charity that work bigger than just climate issues around all kinds of um, environmental issues sustainability but the climate is a part of their work and um, I'd really encourage people to if they haven't heard of them to have a look at their website a particularly excellent program they run is something called Eco Church. I'm not sure if you've come across that before, John. Yeah, I've heard it and I've heard it talked about, but I, I I'd be interested to learn some more. I think you've you did some research on that, didn't you? Yeah, well, I've done some reporting on it in the past. It's a it's a program that's it's um gone going on for a few years, and it's basically uh it's a it's an online survey that you do as a congregation. Um, and you kind of work your way through and it asks you questions around all things. So it covers, you know, creation care, worship and teaching, your management of your church buildings, management of your church land, individual lifestyles, community and your global engagement. And as you work this questionnaire and answer questions about how you're doing, it, it not only points you towards action, but it kind of says, right, you can then win an Eco Church Award, I think bronze, silver and gold, as your church kind of goes on this journey of becoming more alive to, to the climate crisis and to creation care and I, I know lots of churches who've gone on this and, and started off being like oh we probably should do something about the environment we're not sure what where to begin and, and it's a really great scheme you can sign up online I think that helps kind of um, ground all your action in in theology in the bible we know we're not it's not identical to what secular activists are doing but it's it's also lifts your eyes up to the global church and to the world and says how can your community your congregation play its part so that's a really great uh, place to go if you're looking for something practical to do in response yeah so i think we'll put some links won't we to um some good resources books uh websites and uh, information particularly about arosha which was one of john stott's uh, key uh, concerns and and preoccupations mm. and lastly the other one i would mention that is really active in this space is the charity christian aid uh, they're kind of fundamentally a, an anti-poverty charity, but they they make the point that uh, you can't end poverty without also tackling climate change, as we mentioned, because it affects the poorest communities the most. And so it's become a real priority of their work in recent years, particularly uh, overseas. So again, if you go to their website, Christian Aid, um, there, there's plenty of ways you can take action. You can um, amplify and support financially or in prayer uh, campaigns by by churches in in poor parts of the world. Um, uh, and just lastly there's also if you want to get more on the activist side there's a group called Christian Climate Action um, slightly more on the radical end they kind of do things like non-violence civil disobedience uh, lobbying um, uh, and protest um, and uh, you know I, I'm not as familiar with them and I'm not necessarily endorsing everything they do or say but I found this really interesting kind of list of of kind of their overarching values and principles which kind of which we talked about before uh, you know why should christians be engaged in climate action and um, which is really helpful we'll put a link to that as well great thanks so much tim it's been a been a good discussion yeah thank you um enjoyed it um and thanks to you all for listening um as always uh we're really grateful for you taking the time um if you'd like to find some more resources to to read listen to and watch you can find plenty uh at john's website uh, johnwyatt.com um, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, we're always interested to hear questions from, from listeners or suggestions for things we could talk about. Uh, we've got a new email address. That's molad, M-O-L-A-D, at premier.org.uk. So please do drop us a line. 
um uh, if you're new to the podcast and you want to kind of get your teeth into something else uh, there's lots of episodes in our back catalog you could scroll down the feed to find we talked a lot about covid when we began but we've also covered the fact there was a whole episode about the legacy of john stott to mark what would have been his 100th birthday month last year um, so you can find out um, you can find out loads more about him he's a fascinating character um, and if you want to find some of my journalism you can go to my website that's tswyatt.com and otherwise uh, we'll, we'll speak to you again I hope uh, next week thank you you've been listening to matters of life and death a podcast from premier unbelievable 